Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Jay Haverluck, the mastermind behind AccuMax Index, a revolutionary tool that deciphers human wiring to optimize hiring, management, and team dynamics. With over a decade at AccuMax Index, Jay's expertise has transformed organizations, enhancing productivity and employee satisfaction. His acclaimed book, Unraveling the Mystery of People, dives deep into understanding human hardwiring, offering insights to foster better personal and professional relationships. As a dynamic speaker and results-driven consultant, Jay unravels the complexities of human behavior, empowering individuals and businesses to communicate more effectively and make informed decisions. I've asked Jay to join us here today to share his story and help us make better people decisions. So Jay, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? Thanks for having me, Daryl. It's good to be on. Yeah, it's an honor and a pleasure. So this is a, a hot topic. Every, I don't know a single business that doesn't have some sort of people problem or people concern or all the companies, a group of people that solve the problem of another group of people and they do it via a product or service. So it's very people helping people working together. But before we get into this, how did you even get into business and managing people in that? Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Were your parents responsible for managing large teams of people? How did you get into this? No, actually, my dad was an accountant. Now, he did start his own accounting firm. He's forced into it. He was laid off of a position hmm. and he's forced into it. But my mom was just a stay-at-home mom. And quite frankly, I quite by accident, fell into this arena about 23 years ago. Got it. And so how did you get started? I was actually working as a lean manufacturing consultant. And I got approached by a company that does behavioral assessment. And uh, they offered me a position and I took it. And I was very successful. I was one of the world's best consultants in that arena. It was a good tool. But there were some gaps in it, and there were some just some issues. It was developed in the late 50s, and some of the concepts that they were relaying at the time as like putting a tire on a 57 T-Bird versus a 20 <laughs> I had a T-Bird. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. So there were, there were just some concepts and things that they just were disconnected. It was really quite revolutionary at the time. And there, there were just some differences and some concerns. And I uh, would go to corporate and I'd say, hey, we really need to change this. We need to change this. And I'd get the, well, we'll review it next year's meeting. And if something comes of that, then maybe two or three years down the line, I decided to leave the company and I'd gotten very interested in the neuroscience. And most personality assessments are based in the social sciences, the observable behavior of people we see. And behavior is driven by a lot of functions. It starts with where I'm born. People behave differently based upon the area they're born in, world, in the state. Uh, Upbringing has a very strong impact on behavior. 
age and maturity, education, where I got it. If I went to Harvard or if I went to local community college or right. school. So these all impact behavior. It's why nobody I talk to acts the same way today. Somebody's in their 20s or above that they did when they were 18 years old. Of course, the mind tells us, go ahead and try it, but the body remains. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Behavior changes. So I'm very interested in the neurosciences. And in the 18 to 24-month period after any human being on the planet is born, certain chemicals come together in the brain and they create specific neural pathways. Now, during this time period, there are millions of pathways created, but we measure four as how they apply to business and relationships, because let's face it, business is just relationships. And so we measure those four, and it's a deep dive into a candidate. And normal hiring gets about a 40, 45% success rate, which means four out of every 10 people you hire perform at the level of expectations from date of hire. I read a quote one time and I thought it was great. They said that if all the GDP improvements that were on resumes actually occurred, our GDP would be 10% a year. And that interviews can oftentimes be Academy Award-winning acting performances. Every business owner I've talked to, I've said at some point in time, have you hired the next greatest employee? And they go, yeah. And I said, only the 90 days or maybe less later, scratch your head going, where did this person come from? Yeah. Like they interviewed. So I developed the tool and we are unique. We measure innate human wiring, which is a deep dive into an individual. Wiring is static. It's formed and it's static. It's not impacted by age, maturity, education, et cetera. Got it. So you said there's four neural pathways. What are the four neural pathways? There's four as they apply. Now there's millions that are generated during this time period, but we measure four. And the four that we measure are autonomy, communication, patience, and certainty. And we go on a low to high scale. So if you're lower in autonomy, you're more innately a team player. You don't prefer a lot of conflict in the work environment. You you prefer options and decision-making. You desire an environment that has more harmony and accord. If you're higher in autonomy... Those are individuals that like their ideas best and they accept elements of conflict. They like a good headbutting. They're most engaged with their thumbprint on ideas and plans of action. An ideal high autonomy meeting, there's yelling, screaming, breaking of glass and furniture. We go out to dinner together and say, was it that fun? (laughs) Individuals go, what a bunch of lunatics. Why are you doing this? Does the options come up with something that best benefits a team or organization? High autonomy people say that's boring. Right. So right. there's jobs where you want a low autonomy person. There's jobs where you want a high autonomy person. The second channel that we measure is communication. Everybody talks. Everybody thinks. That's how human beings are built. But what the communication channel tells us is how people successfully process thought. Oh, if you're lower in communication, you're more internal. You're the individual who listens to what everybody says in the room. Then your brain sorts through everything, comes down to the meat, and you think about it, right? You prefer some elements of alone time, 
for thought processing. You prefer response after the thought process is complete. Mm. Higher communication people are external thinkers. They're the ones that come and go, hey, Daryl, I got this idea. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And while you're trying to organize your thoughts, they get frustrated because they didn't get a response. They repeat themselves. They want a more heads-up environment, more people-driven environment. So understanding that helps the communication flow. Verbal thinkers have to verbalize. Internal thinkers have to internalize. Mm -hmm. But what it does is help cut the clutter when you can say, hey, I'm an internal thinker. Say, okay, let me know when you can think about it and get back with me. Or I'm an external thinker. Okay, give me response. Acknowledge my thoughts. Mm. Again, there are roles in organizations where you want somebody who's more internal heads down, or there's roles in organizations where you want somebody who's more external and heads up. The um, third channel that we measure is patience. Low patience individuals, they are the individuals that do a things to do list one, two, three, four, five, and then start on 27, then go over to six, then do three and two and one, maybe all at the same time. They accept elements of pressure. They thrive with spinning multiple plates. It actually creates a shorter attention span. You know, so I'm, I'm working on these things. I'm working on this for a little while, this for a little while, this for a little while. I like an environment that has variety in it. I accept interruptions. I may not always like them, but I accept and respond to them. High patience people are just the opposite. One of the beauties of the tool is whatever I am, the opposite is the opposite. So what I like and one drive, the opposite of me doesn't like it as much. So high patience individuals, they're more sequentially driven. They set their things to do list, one, two, three, four, five, work on one, finish it, go to two, finish it, go to three, finish it, go to four, finish it. Right. You know? And they'll yeah, do that better than anybody else. What's that? They'll do that better than anybody else. Oh, I, absolutely. Had a, I had an ex, we were together almost six years and we spent three years in Japan together. And when I was in Japan, part of what I did teach English, but I also worked as a consultant for Johnson Johnson, Tokyo Electronic Consulting from Seven Seas Consulting. But Salma, my ex, if I gave her a 10-step checklist and number six was missing, she would be stuck and wouldn't know what to do, even though it might seem obvious to somebody else. But if you gave her a completed 10-step checklist, she would be the best person to do it. Everywhere we went, that she got clear instructions and training like that she was the number one uh, like she was just the number one requested by clients hands down but if you threw a, a wild ball if there was sevens missing you got to figure it out on your own just complete train wreck sorry that's just what it made me think of when you're talking about it because i'm like i know i'm clearly on the low end and she was clearly on the high end this is years ago now i haven't seen her in 10 years but it's good when you can draw it into a personal relationship or a personal circumstance. You know, right. She's obviously a high patience person, likes to do things by a checklist, thrives best with having a plan and following the plan in order. Oh, yeah. You know? But high patience people, they're more deliberate decision makers. And actually, they push back from pressure. So if you're low patience and she's high patience, and you say, hey, when can you have a decision for me? And she says, Tuesday at five o'clock. You go, oh my God, Tuesday at five o'clock. Oh no. <laughs> and then you decide to help push it along. You actually slowed the process down. And there, but there are roles where you want somebody who wants to accept. Right. Oh, 100%. 100%. And there's other roles where you want somebody who's sequential. That is in, in healthcare. In the emergency room, 
Yeah. All the people kind of, add that you, yeah. <laughs> order, but it isn't because you don't know whatever's going to happen in the emergency room. But in intensive care, you want somebody who's very process driven, who's going to follow those steps, who's going to come in and check those tests every three hours and make sure everything is done correctly. Yeah. The fourth channel is what we call certainty. Low certainty people, they like the critical points of information. They don't want a lot of data. If they want more data, they'll ask for it. They like a more flexible and less restrictive environment. They look beyond established rules and regulations. They go, why are we doing it this way? Why can't we do it another way? High certainty people, they like detail, information, and data. They like clear expectations of what's expected of them. They like following the rules and regulations. There are roles where you want low certainty people, Oftentimes you find low certainty people in sales because it's really, it's more about not the execution of it is getting the sale and worrying about the details afterwards, but mm. in operations, the high certainty people. Right. We solved the issue between sales and operations because oftentimes sales, low certainty people, Hey, I told the customer we can have it in three days. Operations, we can't do that for 10 days. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Aligning people by their wiring in the roles, because jobs have wiring like people have wiring. Number one, I'm happier. I'm more productive. I'm more satisfied, which results for the company in less turnover, mm -hmm. more productivity. So aligning people that way, it's one of the reasons why there's so much turnover in organizations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's say you and I are and we're wired differently. And you're like, man, I got this job and it's great and I love it. I, I'll apply and I hate it. Mm -hmm. All right. Because the cruel trick of the human mind is it can make us do anything we want to do, even if it's against our natural wiring. But the more we try and change our natural wiring, the more stress we experience. That's the critical aspect of it. The more stress we experience. It's when you align somebody in their job with their natural wiring, it actually has residual benefits. Right. It helps in their personal relationship. But so my wife, she's a higher autonomy individual. And uh, she had a role where she was the office manager and they realigned it and put her in customer service, which is more of a low autonomy role. And she would come home from work and the look on her face, it'd be like, she's ready to eat meat. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, let me have it. Because she had to suppress who she was and it created stress mm. on her. And it's like a rubber band. When yep. you take that wiring and you suppress it, when you let it go, it doesn't, so you take a rubber band and stretch it four inches. When you let it go, it doesn't go four inches, it goes four feet. Right, so you right. get more anxiety from the individual, more stress. Mm. He ended up leaving that one. But, uh, right, right, right. Yeah, what would you recommend to someone who's either starting starting out or struggling in terms of trying to help manage people and they've learned these these paradigms to look at their team at how do they get started like how does someone okay how do i know what role i need or what characteristics i need for the different roles and get this sorted out because obviously for a lot of people they just threw a bunch of people together hey this interview looked good let's go <laughs> let's see how it goes let's do a trial <laughs> the, the first thing is you want to assess your own wiring. It's not going to tell you anything you don't know about yourself. 
But what it does is it puts it into a language that is usable and understandable. And by the way, if I can, at the end here, I will offer out the opportunity to anybody who wants to take it. They can take sure. it for free. Where do they go for that? If I can share my screen here. Sure, sure, sure. Hold on. Let me you. enable the screen sharing. Hold on one second. There you go. Okay. Let's see here. Let me just, okay, share screen. There you go. Text they can coach to one six one seven. Five eight zero three six seven four. So to get a free assessment to do this for yourself, perhaps your team as well, text coach to one six one seven five eight zero three six seven four. I love that. That's really smart. So right. So they can get the free assessment to help them out, and that at least point them in the right direction. The first thing that it does is it, it enables, and I'm going to take my screen share off here. Sure. See here. Oh, there it is. The first thing is and it understands your strengths and limitations. Now the reports are automatically generated. You'll get one that's the intensity of the drive factors, the environment that you best thrive within, and coaching tips. So the coaching tips though tell you your strengths and your limitations. We all have them. That's the mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. The key is to maximize your strengths and minimize your limitations. I have a good friend of mine who's very successful in business. And I said, what was your key, the big key to success? And to me, he said, the big key to my success was number one, knowing what I was good at, mm -hmm. but more knowing what I wasn't, wasn't good at. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Because oftentimes entrepreneurs, we start out and we figure we've got to do everything. And sometimes you do when you got to start out. Right. But if you start to grow and expand, what am I good at? That's the role I need to be in. And then bring others around me that complement me, that have a strength. So your strength may be in one area, mine may be in another. So one of the biggest advices I would give to you know starting entrepreneurs is determine what you're good at. Bring others in to complement that. Mm -hmm. Because we can't do everything. I'm right. you can try, but you burn yourself out. Right. Now, so, what if um, now what if somebody already has a team? Because you're right. In the beginning, often we have to do everything ourselves because the business is just getting started. But if somebody already has five, 10 staff, now they're trying to sort out and figure out maybe the best profile for certain roles or like how do they figure out how to use this tool to optimize the operation? So that's where you'd want to contact us directly. And you can do that through our website, acumaxindex.com. That's A-C-U-M-A-X-I-N-D-E-X.com. And we can analyze your team for you. Got it, okay. Because the reality of it is, you bring, this happens all the time. I start a company, I bring some people in, they're doing great. The company starts to grow. And those people that were doing really well in the beginning start to struggle. Maybe they're not in the right role. Maybe it needs to be in a different role because as businesses grow, they change and responsibilities change. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you're really small, you can handle sales and fulfillment and all of that. But then as you start to grow, you need others in there. So we can analyze your team. The, the reality is three things happen when organizations bring us in. Number one, some underperformers perform better because you know how to properly motivate them. 
indicators are the non-monetary thing we need for job satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everybody works for money, all right? But they're the non-monetary things. Some people want autonomy. Some people want a pat on the back. Some people want the process. Some people want clear expectations with performance feedback, all right? Sometimes underperformers perform better because you know how to motivate them. Number two, oftentimes companies have square pegs and round holes where they say, this person would be better over here. And number three, sometimes you have to give people the opportunity to excel in another organization. Right, right. Because it's really about the overall health of the business. Yeah, yeah. We've had those situations occur and uh, you got to work with them and make sure that you work with them. But if it just becomes a part where it becomes too detrimental to the business, then that's where you have to move forward. Right. Now you gave some examples. Can we maybe give some more examples? Because you've been doing this for over over 12 years of specific yes. roles. Like I like that you how you mentioned that a lot of salespeople are, have low certainty. So are there certain dimensions that better fit certain roles yes okay true business development you want somebody who's high in autonomy and the reason being is high autonomy individuals when they are told no this is how their mind works that's no for today but what about next week what about next month what about next quarter <laughs> they're actually driven by no Okay, it's the old thing, you got to get 90 no's to get 10 yeses kind of thing. So you want somebody who's high in autonomy in that because there is a lot of rejection in business development, Mm -hmm. but they're going to accept more elements of conflict. They're not going to take no for an answer. So you want somebody who's high in, in autonomy in business development. You want somebody who's low in patience, who can pivot as conditions change. And you want somebody who's lower in certainty who wants a more flexible environment, who thrives more in a flexible environment. That's really important. The communication factor, it depends whether you're selling a technical instrument. Sometimes you want somebody a little more analytical, heads down, mm-hmm. no intangible, somebody a little more external, more of a verbal communicator. So those are the characteristics you look for in business development. Now, there's as in sales, there's different profiles. Inbound sales is a totally different animal. Mm, mm, very true. Very true. You very want somebody true. who's lower in autonomy, who is going to be more accommodating. Somebody oftentimes enjoys a process because it's going to be more like if the phone rings, I answer one, I got to finish those. And somebody's going to be higher in certainty. It's going to be more detail driven. It's going to be there more to satisfy the customer and the order. That is a fantastic distinction. I think that is such a fantastic distinction right here for audience listeners to understand the power. So if it's business development, if it's outbound sales, you want someone with high autonomy, low patience, low certainty, because they have to be flexible. They have to be able to thrive on conflict, not for the sake that they're fighting with people, but they have to be able to handle rejection and not be not need a warm fuzzy every five minutes. But if it's inbound leads, then actually, that's actually counterproductive. And you really want someone with low autonomy and high patience and high certainty for your inbound leads. It's one of the mistakes companies oftentimes make where they'll say, I want to hire somebody who's going to sit on the phone and make cold calls and set appointments for other salespeople. And then I want to move them into a business development area. Those are two totally different beings. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and so that's a, a huge difference 
And they all have their value. That's the beauty of it. They all have their value. And what about a manager? If you have a COO or someone that's trying to like a team leader, what kind of person? It does it not matter. And it just depends on, I guess what I'm saying is are certain roles definitive in the personality types that perform best or are others? It's more about how, like you said before, how you coach and motivate and train them. In certain roles, like a chief operating officer, you want somebody who's the highest hobby individual. Right. In other roles, like a customer service manager, oftentimes you want a lower autonomy individual who can right. somebody that really work with the team and empathize, empathize with the team. Because low autonomy individuals will enforce rules and regulations. So it depends on the role. But right. like a, hope you want somebody who's high autonomy. That's mm. because there's a, there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of conflict. You want to do change in your organization. And most of the time in organizations, when you want to do change, there's a lot of resistance. So what do you see are some of the greatest mistakes that your clients and even other entrepreneurs make? We obviously, there's the obvious one we were talking about where they have the wrong people in the wrong seats. What are the other big common mistakes people make? One of the things that we tell our clients is if you follow the process, you'll get great results. If you don't, you won't. So they'll contact us. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because the, you probably have a lot of entrepreneurs and I assume a lot of the entrepreneurs are, what is this? They're low in patience. So you're like, follow the step-by-step -step process and they've got like ADHD. So we come in and we use <laughs> analytics to develop wiring patterns for jobs. Right. And then because we're statistically validated, we can be used in part of the pre-screening process. Mm. Well, we have a matching system. Green is a go. Yellow is cautionary, contact us. Red is a no-go. Red matches are fine people. They're just not going to fit for the role. Right. So we'll get clients go, I know he's only a 30% match, but man, he was- But I really like him, yeah. And I really like him. When's the last time somebody was highly unrecommended? And so- we, but we have, we've gotten correspondence back from clients that that candidate you told us not to hire. Yes, I hired him. And, and yeah, so yeah. You what mentioned we normally say in those circumstances is okay. I'm glad you did it because you learned best by doing. Right. We're here to save you time and money. So just don't do it again. So that's probably the biggest mistake. It just becomes an is factor. Clients that really follow the process, they have less turnover. They have faster growth because they're aligning people in the right way. Right, yeah. One of the things I talked about changing your wiring. One of the things we found in companies is people that are in jobs that they're not a wiring fit for are oftentimes the problem children in the company. Oftentimes underperformers, the problem children in the company. So those that really follow the process. And sometimes it takes a little while for them to see the value. And sometimes they have to make a mistake. We right. say, okay, fine. They made that mistake. That's not a problem. Just don't do it again. Yeah. And what I would say is the number one mistake secondarily is not properly motivating people. That is critical. It's like I got them on board and it's a high autonomy person, but I'm going to micromanage them. So part of what we have to, we train our clients on is the hiring part's very important. But the motivating and managing part. Day to day. And because when you feed people, look at your wiring. Is If you feed that wiring in a positive sense, 
you're going to have more productive individual. You're going to have somebody who performs better, who's happier, is going to be less problems because the reality of it is, and I'm talking to all business owners out there, you spend more time with the problem children than you do with the performance. That's a standard operating procedure. So we have companies eliminate the problem children. Which is really powerful. A lot of this stuff is, if you ask the fish to climb a tree, there'd be nothing but stress and frustration for everybody. And that's yep. the same thing here. And so I think that's a really important, really important thing. And often business owners are so busy doing that. It's the same thing. People are so busy in their business. They often aren't working on their business. And that's why, that's why I ask about certain roles. If there's certain clear delineation, delineations, I don't know if I made that word up, but because like I said, for us as entrepreneurs, as the leaders, we need to know about ourselves, but for a lot of the different roles, I know a lot of people that, oh, my business is different. If you're engaged in getting customers and keeping them, there's certain fundamental principles that don't that don't change. It's like plumbing. You might have a three-story building. Someone else might have a six-story building. Guess what? The principles are the same, right? And so I think that- Absolutely. I thought that was good insight. And you talked about uh, the number one mistake is not listening to the experts. I'd mentioned I, I had a T-Bird once upon a time. I really liked the car. And I took it to a mechanic friend and he said, man, not it's a nice car, but you could, you could find a better deal. And I bought it anyways, and I think it had like a leaky transmission or something. And I sunk so much money into that POS. <laughs> and that was like the life. I was 17, 18. I was living on my own on the West Coast of Canada. And that was my first lesson that if you're going to ask for expert advice, follow the expert advice. That was the real, that was the real painful lesson I learned from that. It may not always be something you want to hear, but in the long run, it's going to benefit you. You didn't want to hear it with the T-Bird. No, I was in love with it. I'm like, this is my dream car. I could, I never owned my own car before. I'm like, I got that. But let me ask, which strategies have been the most effective in enhancing collaboration and productivity within teams? So obviously we have to figure out their profiles and how they're wired. But then how do you, is there any specific strategy that you would recommend on top of that? Yeah, the interesting thing is a team full of clone wiring, we all like doing the same thing. So a lot of stuff slips, slips through the cracks. To have an effective team, you need a diversity of wiring, but a diversity of wiring is the exact thing that causes team dysfunction. Unless I know their value. That's the key. To have an effective team, you need a diversity. Now, if you're in a team of business development salespeople, you're gonna have a very similar wiring pattern. If you're going to have a project team, you want a project manager, you're going to have an implementer, you're going to have somebody who's going to be doing the work, you have somebody who's going to be uh, working with the clients, you need a variation of individuals. And actually bringing the wiring up front and saying, okay, this is the value the person needs. One of the things we like to say is when you use the Acumax, it takes away people clutter because our wiring dictates the world we see. Mm. And we may see the same world and that could create an issue or we may see a different world. But that's a, it's going back to the communication thing. If I'm a verbal thinker and I talk to an internal thinker, I get frustrated when I get the blank mm -hmm. stare. Mm -hmm. So I start to talk, which stops the internal thinker from thinking, which slows the response time down. So it becomes a vicious cycle. So with a team, you have to de determine what the purpose of that team is, what the diversity of wiring in that team is, and then understanding the values. For example, you're talking about your ex who's very process driven. A low patience individual like yourself may get frustrated with that. Yeah, yeah. But if you say, hey, we have to follow this process and it's gonna be a little slower than you want, 
but it's going to generate the results you want faster when it's implemented. That becomes a different ballgame. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. So what do you feel are some of the habits that have helped you in your own journey in building this business on your path to success over the years? Like looking back, are there specific daily, weekly, quarterly habits that you think have contributed? Number one, be organized. I always prep my week the weekend beforehand. I, I'm a little old fashioned, I use white pads, and I, but I prep my week. I prep the things I need to do. Keeping organized keeps you on task and it, it prevents things from slipping through the cracks because when you're bombarded with stuff, it's easy to forget things. Number one, I think be organized. Number two, be willing to listen to others. I think that's really important. We have a weekly stand-up. Our company is completely remote. We've been remote for since inception. Mm-hmm. So we are way ahead of the COVID curve. But I, I always let everybody talk and have an opinion. One of the things I say, always get your way. Always be heard. And that's important. And I think you have to really listen to people because they're bringing ideas to the table. They're bringing thoughts to the table. Be organized listen to others and be calculated in the risks that you take. Mm. Those would be the three things from a business perspective that I would say are very important. Mm. Personally, eat well, watch your diet, get a lot of sleep because those are important attributes. You, know, you got to function and be able to turn it off. That That's one of the things with an entrepreneur. It's sometimes very hard to turn the business off, but you have to. Many years ago, I suffered from a little bit of workaholism, being a workaholic. And my wife came into my office and she stood in front of me and she said, look, it's fine for you to work all the time, but we need to spend some time together. So I want you to figure out a time you're going to just end it together. And I, that was really good advice. And we do that. So you got to turn it off sometimes. Yeah. You got to walk. Yeah. Because when you turn it off, it allows your head to clear, to be more refreshed. And, and I guess probably the last thing is, is it's not the challenge you face, it's how you face the challenge. I think you have to face it with a good spirit. Negative things are going to happen in business. If business were easy, everybody would do it. But negative things are going to happen. It's not the challenge that you face, it's how you face that challenge. And yeah. having an optimistic outlook and a positive, again, be calculated with your risks, but being optimistic and positive. Because most of the time, we all have been through things. You go through and it's terrible going through it. And then a year later, you look back and you go, oh, it really wasn't that bad. One of the key aspects, I believe. Yeah, I, I think that's really solid advice. I, I love this, especially when you talk about having designated work time. When you're single, you can, whatever, you can throw 20 hours at your work day, seven days a week and live on low sleep and all. But when you have a family or even as you start getting older, that just doesn't seem to be as realistic. And in some ways, it's actually really foolish. And I say this as someone who did that for a number of years. And it's because necessity is the mother of invention. I have a great example. <clears throat> There's a, a client, you talk about calculated risk. I just want to give an example because it might help the listeners. And I can give a, a very relevant one. I've got a program called Habit Hero. And I've been looking for enterprise-level clients. And I have one enterprise-level client that I was talking to who said, okay, we'll make your program our de facto training program for our marketing and sales staff. But we've got about 40 offices 
and they're all in Germany, Italy, Japan, all non-English speaking countries. We're gonna we're opening an office in the United States, and we need a phone team to call and work with them. And so if you help us establish, because I'm in the Philippines, if you help us build a phone team there in the Philippines, we'll hire an agency. So we're not, you're not building it from ground up, but we need you to help go in person to vet the agencies, pick the best one, and you be the boots on the ground to the fractional supervisor to get this phone team going. One, we'll pay you a fat monthly retainer. We'll pay you a commission on all sales that team produces as it grows. And we want to open up eight more offices in the United States. So this wasn't a startup. Uh, and what was the other one? And then again, we'll also refer all of our leads and customers to your program once a month. So I, you talk about, so I'm like, okay, I'm in. That's good. I'm in. I'll have to pay them a, a commission on sales that they get me. Like this is a, this is not a start. So took a calculator risk, spent three weeks burning the midnight oil on both ends, but I can't do that. That's not sustainable. So what we did, my team and I, me and two coders, the biggest thing I needed to do is make sure the team lead followed the process because we have a training protocol and all that, right? And feedback loop. But what I also really need to do is help critique the calls because you've got four agents calling for an eight hour day. We set up, with me and two coders set up technology where now I have my assistant download and upload the recordings. They automatically get transcribed and those transcriptions get assessed against three of what I consider the best sales processes in the world. And they get custom feedback from that. And she puts it into a doc. So when you talk about having limited time, like I'm not trying to be a, an employee of this company. I want the strategic partnership, but I was willing to invest the two, three weeks, get the team up and running. And now that everything's in a rhythm, because of the constraints, we figured out a way to automate it. And now my VA is the one that's able to really do that. I check it, but it, my, my time commitment is now like 30 minutes a day. Like I'm there, to, I'm there for 20 minutes. At the beginning of the day to make sure that they're on zoom and make sure and i pop in once a week to make sure that they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing because the biggest thing is every day we have training at the beginning of the day and then the calls it's all analyzed and broken down based on a template form what went anyway so that's but if you just don't have any constraints you just put more and more on your shoulders and it's almost like by having those constraints you go hey there's got to be there's got to be a better way there's got to be a way to to automate this, to streamline this, to train other people into it. <clears throat> and you can't do that without those constraints. And you don't scale as an individual. Us as individuals, we don't. Typically scale is accomplished and achieved with robots, software, or teams of people. And that's part of what, why what you do is so powerful because to get those teams to work, you gotta have the gear, the gears of the cogs have to connect properly. And if you have the wrong personality types trying to do in the wrong position, right? Or even on the team and not, and not knowing how to interact and communicate together, it'll cause havoc and chaos. But if you get it, amazing things can happen. Oh, we've seen one of the, the my biggest areas of satisfaction is working with a company of 20 employees, then seeing them today at 150. And uh, I actually ran into a client of mine at an event and he won an award. And I said, congratulations on winning this award. And he said, I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't known you. And that was just a huge compliment. Aw, a little pat on the back. And, uh, yeah, but that that's great satisfaction. When right. you see a company really grow, because people say, what industries do you deal in? We deal in industries that employ people. Yeah, 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 yeah there you go. Yeah, if, <laughs> if your employees are people or if your customers are people, we got you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's industry of robots we're not going to help you there but but if we deal with industries that employ people and we're we are in about 80 different industries 
Mm. Again, I, like I said, I think the plumbing, the fundamentals is, is the same, right? Whether they're selling bridges or selling airplanes or selling hot dogs on the street corner. In some ways, the process is similar. So now, yeah, what do you think is are some of the future trends that business owners need to be aware of? What are things on your radar? We've had some disruptive technology. We've got cultural issues that play. There's geopolitical things afoot. Where do you think things are going to be in five, 10 years? Are things, how will things change? I think, first of all, you got to exclude all the noise. Technology is a part of business. You have to adapt to it. There's so much technology out there. I think people overreact a little bit with AI has boundaries, has its uses. Um, where I think things are probably going to go in the next five years is, number one, it's been a tight, in the United States, it's been a tight employment market. Mm. Uh, that is going to ease up starting in 2024 into 2025. And the biggest reason is many of the major employers are, are laying off a lot of people. So that's going to actually up the talent pool and shift it from more of an employee driven market to an employer driven market. Mm. Number two, technology is going to be a part of everything and you have to embrace it. I look at things I did when I first started the business by hand that took me hours that now done in 10 minutes. Right. Uh, so you have to embrace it. And if you're uncomfortable with it, find a youngster. <laughs> They'll be right. happy to educate you on that. I do believe that the economy, I actually heard an economist last Friday, and their projection was that uh, 2024 is, they basically stated, we're in a bit of a recession right now. Europe's in a recession. The United States is in a recession. They expect it to last through 2024, but they expect 25, 26, 27, 28, 29 to really be very good years. Hmm. Actually explosive growth. So their advice to the business owners was prepare that it's going to be a slower 2024, but use those resources mm -hmm. and at that point in time, start to build up so that you can be extremely competitive mm -hmm. in 2024. That was good to hear. They, and I, but I believe technology evolves. 20 years ago in mm -hmm. uh, 2003, we wouldn't have done a call like this. Oh, 100%. Before. 100%. So I, I believe technology will evolve, but people are going to remain key in businesses. That's the critical thing. I don't believe that robots are going to be taking over everybody's jobs. Yeah. And they will, there will be some robotics that occur that have already occurred, but the key thing is with people, that's important. And what I would recommend to business owners is hire to the wiring and teach the skill. For example, you might have somebody who is really wired for business development. They may not have the skill. A lot of employees, I want five years. Or First of all, you can bring somebody in. You can get them at a lower cost. You can train them on how to, if they have the wiring, to be business development. And then you can increase the income. So it becomes a win situation for the business owner and for the employee. Mm. I do believe that one of the key things for businesses in the next three to five years is going to be training your own workforce. Mm, right. Versus trying to hire talent on the front. You mean training up? I agree with that. I definitely think we're coming back to a world of, you got to watch out for that Peter principle, but hiring, bringing people in and training them up 
just before their highest level of incompetence. Not necessarily. That's what they say, right? If you, you do good at one position, hey, you're great at sales. Let's make you team lead. Hey, you're a great team leader. Let's make you regional lead manager. Hey, you're great at regional manager. Let's make you chief of sales. Oh, you suck at this. So let's just leave you there. That's the whole, because you can't demote them. But the idea of, like you said, training from within and rewarding people to keep star players when you get them, when you find them, when well, you have them. It's kind of interesting you mentioned sales because oftentimes your best salespeople are not your best sales managers. Yeah, You actually need a different wiring for that. So what a, I, if I can tell a quick story, I had a Do client it. call and it was sales manager. And he's like, I got to talk about, now they have 55 salespeople, my number eight sales guy. He won't submit his reports on time. He won't do this. He won't do that. I said, let me ask you a question. Is he hitting his numbers? Yes. I said, then why are you even worried? Why do you care? Yeah. Why do you care? Hey, I said, when he falls, I said, I'd be working with guys in the 40s. But if he's hitting his numbers, one of the things that we want to, we work with sales manager is high autonomy people like the carrot. So you hit your numbers. You don't have to do all this paperwork. And That's stuff right. Like that. You can go home early. <laughs> you can go home early. That's right. You know what? If somebody's hitting their numbers and they're performing, don't stick them to an eight-hour day. Let them yep. go home early. Let them enjoy somewhat. Give them that carrot that says, hey, if you perform, because the reality of sales is one thing. It's revenue generation. That's right. And if the right. person is generating revenues, then give them and make that carrot. And actually, when you do that, you and you can kind of other salespeople see and they go, wow, Daryl, he's taking off at uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. How do I get yeah. to do that? Yeah, 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 super smart. Yeah, we've, yeah, the incentives, every incentives are incredibly important for anything. If you get the incentives right, Often a lot of issues will take care of themselves, but yeah. part of that means you need to know what the outcome of the kind of people you have. Jay, this has been a great call. I do want to be respectful of your time. This has been, I got a couple pages of notes. People may want to listen to this call more than once. Is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? No, I think you've really covered it. I think you've covered it. We did a great job. I'm going to put a plug in there. I highly recommend Acubax for any business. We do have fee schedules that are based upon is what I call accordion pricing. Smaller organizations pay a smaller fee. They get the same service than larger organizations, but it's critical at your starting time that you get the right people on board. That's very important. So for people that want to learn more, go to ACU or ACUMA, ACUMAX Acu Index, A-C-U-M-A-X-I-N-D-E-X.com. That is A-C-U-M-A-X-I-N-D-E-X. Dot com. Jay, thank you so much for coming and sharing. I know that the missus wants you to have strict off hours and I know you're working a little bit late with me. So give her a hug and a kiss for me and my audience for coming and sharing with us. We really value and appreciate your insight. I definitely will, Daryl. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure.